So let's listen, further prepare our hearts for the Word of God. Jesus. The mere mention of his name can calm the storm, heal the broken, raise the dead. At the name of Jesus, I've seen sin-hardened men melted, derelicts transformed, the lights of hope put back in the eyes of a hopeless child. I've seen a mother softly breathe his name at the bedside of a child delirious with fever. And I've watched that little body grow quiet as the fevered brow cooled. I've sat beside a dying saint, her body racked with pain, who in her final fleeting seconds summoned her last ounce of ebbing strength to whisper Earth's sweetest name, the name of Jesus. Emperors have tried to destroy it. Philosophers have tried to stamp it out. Tyrants have tried to wash it from the face of the earth with the very blood of those who claimed it. Oh, yet it still stands. The name of Jesus. And there shall be that final day when every voice that has ever uttered a sound, every voice of Adam's race, shall raise in one mighty chorus to proclaim the name of Jesus. For in that day, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So you see, my friends, it was not mere chance that made an angel one night long ago say to a virgin maiden, his name shall be called Jesus. Jesus. There is something about that name. Amen. There certainly is something about that name. I hope you know that name. As many as received him, by that name have eternal life. And in that name, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for these that are assembled together in your sight. You know every heart, every mind, every soul. Lord, you know those who are genuinely born again of your spirit and those who are not. You know who are the foolish and you know who are the wise. Lord, bless that everyone may leave here tonight in the wise category. We pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts again. Thank you for the good movement this morning. Thank you, Lord, for these coming back tonight, visitors returning, and perhaps new people here. We ask your blessing and anointing upon the preached word of God, and it is our desire that the Spirit of God would speak through me, that I might give a message from you, not from man, but from you. We pray, Lord, that you would bless it and use it in Christ's name, amen. We are returning to Matthew chapter 25, where we began this morning in our outline of all P's. P 
P's this morning and tonight. And so if you're able to stand, would you stand with me while we read through this scripture, if you're able, and let's give reverence to the Word of God. In Matthew 25, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. I want you to understand the context, since we have uh, several that are here tonight that weren't here this morning. We want to uh, familiarize you with the words of our Savior. Remember, these are the words of Jesus Christ and the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24 and 25 is two prophetic chapters given by the Lord Jesus himself. And he says in chapter 25, beginning with verse 1, then, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Thank you for standing with me and following along. You may be seated. And so remember, this morning we spent much time at verse 1 with the introduction. Now, you know I would like to re-preach everything this morning and add to it tonight, but we do not have the time to do that. And so... We shared with you this morning about a Jewish wedding and how the bride goes away, build, the groom goes away, builds a bridal chamber, attaching it to his father's house, and then comes to get his bride. You never know that's when, when it's going to be because the father of the groom is the one who inspects the new billy, newly built home and gives permission for his son to go get his bride. That's all Jewish, but it's all very prophetic as our Lord Jesus is doing the very same thing. When you are saved, when you're born again, when you're blood-bought, when you're heaven-bound, you are the bride, and the Lord Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you with the promise that he's coming again to receive you and take you to that celestial city, the new Jerusalem, that he's building. And so while we are waiting, we are to be waiting and watching, and we ought to be faithful, faithful bride. We're not flirting with this world. <laughs> We're not committing adultery with this world, James 4.4. We are waiting, and we're seeking to be purified. The first purpose of prophecy is to warn the unsaved. The second purpose of prophecy is to purify the church. And, the, and that's what 1 John 3, 2 and 3 are saying, that every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And so while we're waiting for our heavenly bridegroom to return for us, we are serving and faithful and obedient. We're not half-hearted, lukewarm, status quo, go-with-the-flow, mechanical, mundane, rote, 
Christianity. We are vibrant. We're alive. And we are serving the Lord, waiting for Him while He comes. And then we talked about the premise, my first P, the foundation is that some were wise, some were foolish. The Lord describes that. Those that were foolish took lamps and took no oil with them. I explained the Israeli lamp for you, the clay belly, you put oil in there, and then you uh, trim this wick, and the wick uh, draws the oil from the belly, keeping that flame going. And so it's very foolish that you'd bring a lamp and not bring oil. Again, that's as foolish as having a flashlight with no batteries. And so the foolish are those that do not have oil. The wise are those who do have oil. Oil in the Old Testament and the New Testament is a type and picture of the Holy Spirit. We dealt with that at length this morning. Uh, the Lord Jesus comes inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And you either have the Holy Spirit in you tonight or you do not. If you're wise, you have him. If you're not wise, if you're foolish, you do not have him. The only way to get the oil and the Holy Spirit and dwelling inside of you is to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, understanding the gospel, understanding the conditions of God, of which to come to him by faith through grace to receive the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. And so the foolish and the wise are presented to us there. Verse 5 is where we ended this morning. That's the problem, all right? The premise, the first, the premise, the foundation, the, 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 the bottom line is you either have the Spirit tonight or you don't. If you don't, we want to help you. If you don't have the Spirit, if you're not saved, you don't have the gift of eternal life abiding within you, you don't know the forgiveness of sins and the guilt and the shame lifted off of you by the grace of God through the person and work of Christ, tonight could be your night. Don't leave here tonight without the oil. <laughs> you can have the oil. It's blessedly available to you. It's offered freely to you by the, by the grace of God. You don't have to leave here unsaved, undone, unfit, unclean, unworthy, and unregenerate. You can leave here tonight born again. Your, first, your, your birth in the physical brought a sinful, depraved, corrupt human nature. You need a spiritual birth. Just as you had a physical birth, you need a spiritual birth, John chapter 3. And so the problem is, verse 5, why the bridegroom tarried, they all, that was the key, wasn't it? They all, all ten of them, the five wise, the five foolish, all of them were slumbering and asleep. And so we expect the unsaved to be spiritually asleep. We, we expect the, the unsaved that they would be dead in sleep, a sleep of death. Because if they die in their sins, they will die eternally and go to hell in the lake of fire. And so we expect that of them. But we don't expect the five wise to be asleep. The whole point is to watch and wait for the bridegroom to come. And many of God's people today are asleep spiritually. And I went through the scriptures and I showed you some examples of what the Bible talks about uh, being asleep as believers. Asleep, awake, awake, the Spirit of God tells us through the Word of God this morning. And if you have problems slumbering and sleeping when you ought to be alert and, aw and awake and active for the Lord, you need revival. Which brings us to this problem and this pronouncement. 
that the Lord indeed is coming. And so when we think about the problem and how it leads into the pronouncement, in Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? You know, that is such a thought-provoking verse. The Lord Jesus said, when he comes again, will he find faith on the earth? I interpret that to mean, will he find his own people faithful? I believe we're living in the last days in the Laodicean age. And we have much in Canada and much in the United States that are lukewarm, half-hearted, double-minded, not fervent and faithful and loyal. I don't know about you, but I intend to be part of the remnant that is faithful. I'm not perfect. I sin just like you do. Praise God, I'm a sinner saved by grace. There are times I think things and say things and do things that I shouldn't do. There are times that I have attitudes that aren't right. I have motives that may not be pure. I wrestle with it. You wrestle with it. But it is my full intention to not live in some neutral zone. I'm not going to live the just in case it's all real Christianity. It's either absolute truth or it isn't. Either the Word of God is the Word of God or it isn't. Either Jesus Christ came and left the glories of heaven and took on humanity, or he didn't. Either he went to the cross and shed his blood and died and paid the penalty of our sin and rose again from the dead, or he didn't. And if it's not absolute truth and reality, then I'm going back in the world and get everything this world has to offer. (laughs) But if it's true, and it is, why don't I give him everything? Why? Why would I not surrender everything to him? If this is true, and it is, and Christ is real, and he is, why would I live so half-hearted? Why would I flirt around with this world system? Why would I not be obedient and zealous and, and ardent and faithful in every way? Even the Lord said that later on in this chapter. In chapter 25, verse 21, his Lord said unto him, Well done, Thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we need to be. We have inherent goodness imputed by our Lord. We have the inherited righteousness of Christ imputed to us the moment we were saved because we are not righteous. Not in any way, fashion, or form, but when you receive Christ as Savior, you receive His righteousness, His goodness, which now works its, works its way out of your practical Christian life, Philippians 2 tells us. And so we want to be good, we want to be faithful, and we want to be servants. And in that context, that determines your position in His kingdom. However faithful you are to the Lord right now, is determining your position in the kingdom when Christ comes to the earth to set up his thousand-year reign. It does matter how you live. Don't just say, well, I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm going to heaven, and then be careless about the way you live. And so we want to be good and faithful servants. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, brethren. Few things. I can... I can Count them on one hand. What Bible Christianity is, 
what it means to be faithful in a few things. I'm rightly related to the local church. I follow the Lord and believers' baptism. I join the church. I'm faithful to the house of God. I read the word of God and pray every day. One of our things this morning about those that were asleep who would not spend time with the Lord. Tithes and offerings. Do you realize if every born-again believer would tie their income, there would never be a missionary, there'd never be a, uh, any kind of uh, program that's trying to reach people, that would, they wouldn't, it would never lack if every believer gave tithes and offerings. Every believer a soul winner. Every believer witnessing and sharing the gospel every day with the contact God brings in your life. And every believer living a holy life separated from this world. I just gave you on one hand a few things. And the sad truth is we can't even get born-again believers to obey even the most basic commands of Scripture. But if we ever did, we'd see revival break out that was unparalleled by anything you've ever heard of in history. If God's people would simply become faithful into every area and realm that Jesus taught and the Word of God taught in the New Testament. And so we want to wake up. Wake up. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. But the grace of God that was with me. Never, ever let the grace of God be in vain in your life. It's too precious and it's too rare. What did Jesus say? Enter into the straight gate because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And how many people find it? Few there be that find it. Proportionately to the 8 billion people that walk this planet, how many have found it? How many true, genuine, born-again believers are on this earth? Relatively few when you compare it to the population of this earth. It's too rare. Are you some of the few that Jesus said would be on the narrow road leading to life? If you are, never take that for granted. Don't have the problem of being asleep when you're supposed to be looking and waiting for the bridegroom. If you're some of the few, live, live, live for Christ. Don't ever forget what he's done for you. It's amazing that the Lord had to institute an ordinance to the local church for no other reason. There's a memorial that you remember me. Don't forget me. Remember what I've done for you, my broken body, my shed blood. Never, ever get over it. Never cease to praise God for it and live in the light of it. There is now a pronouncement in verse 6. And at midnight, we better have a lamp for midnight. Midnight's dark. We don't want to stumble on our way to meet the bridegroom. Good thing they had Lamps, at least five of them had working lamps. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. What a pronouncement. That event will one day be pronounced. Maybe tonight. 
First Thessalonians 4, 16, for the Lord himself. It was the Lord himself who came the first time. It's the Lord himself coming the second time. For the Lord himself should descend from heaven. The Lord himself who died personally in your place to pay the debt and the penalty of your sin. He didn't send somebody else to die for you, for no one else was qualified to die for you. He's not sending Moses, Abraham, or any one of the prophets to come and get you. He's coming himself. Just as he came for you personally the first time, he's coming personally for you the second time. Do you know that? He's coming again for you as though you were the only believer on the face of the earth. He's that excited about coming to get you. Are you as excited about his coming to get you? You think about it every day. Do you wake up in the morning and say, today, this may be the day my Lord comes for me. Do you think about the second coming? Does it pervade your thinking and understanding and your behavior for that day? That the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. A threefold call. If you're saved, you won't miss it. You're not saved, you will not hear the shout, the voice of the archangel, or the trump of God. And don't say, when I see all the believers are gone, then I'll know this is true. It'll be too quick. That's what it means when the Lord said in, uh, in Revelation twenty two twelve, Behold, I come quickly. Many people say, quickly? It's been 2,000 years. When the Lord says, Behold, I come quickly... He's not referring to chronology. He's not referring to a time. He's, re he's referring in the mode, the method that he comes. Oh, what's that? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be chained. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, which is the smallest increment of time that can ever be measured, a nanosecond, some call it. There's not going to be any time for you to say, oh, you know, now you believe right now, I'll get saved. <laughs> you need to get saved now so you're ready. The whole import of this passage is there are some who are prepared, there are some who are not. There are some who are ready when the Lord comes, there are many who are not. And so the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Last time in Prophecy Conference number one, I spent a whole evening proving to you biblically a pre-tribulational position. There's so many people confused about when is Jesus coming. Is it before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, two-thirds of the way full, Rosenthal, or at the end, a post-trib coming? And there's people all confused about that. That's why I feel in my Prophecy Conference number one, I need to spend an entire evening proving to you biblically that the rapture is before the tribulation period. And so the pronouncement was made, and the pronouncement will be made. Jesus is coming soon. And when he comes, what a pronouncement. And will you be ready? That's the admonition. And so when the pronouncement is made, what happens, verse 7, then all those versions are wrote. Now they wake up. <laughs> All ten were asleep in verse 5. Now they're pronounced, the bridegroom's coming! Go out to meet him! Oh, my! And they, and they, and they get their, their lamps out, and they, and they trim their lamps. That's not how you do it. Uh, and so they're getting their lamps ready, then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. 
So they got the wick in there in the body of that little clay vessel. And then we have a predicament. You like my peas? What have we got so far? We've got the premise, the problem, the pronouncement, and now the predicament, which is verse 8, and the foolish. The foolish also were those who arose and woke up and, and trimmed their lamps. But there is no oil in their lamps. The foolish lit their wick. You know, there, there's no oil in this particular lamp. And so if I were to put a lighter or a flame there, this end part would ignite for a couple of seconds. You can light this. It'll flicker, but it'll sputter out almost immediately because there's no oil going up that wick to supply the power that that flame needs to keep burning. And that's, that's what these five foolish are doing. They, they, they wake up. Uh, the bridegroom's the And they flip. But it goes out almost immediately because there's no oil. That describes many who do not have the Holy Spirit. In a panic, they ask the wise for some of their oil. If you do not have salvation, if you don't have the oil, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you will not continue in the things of God. You can be religious. You can have an outer veneer. You can have a life to others that looks good. But you know in your heart of hearts, you know how sinful you really are. You know how evil you really are. You know the things that excite you and the things that elicit passions out of your flesh. You can only keep going through some self-will or self-determination only so long. You will not have the power of God to continue. And that's why the Lord gave the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew 13 about the sower sowing his seed from side to side. The first group falls on the wayside, the very hard, barren pathway which the sower is walking, and seed falls there, but the fowls of the air come and devour it immediately. And then there's the seed that falls into the stony ground, which has very little topsoil, and it looks like it wants to grow. It makes a profession of growing. But the sun comes out and scorches it all. Some in the thorns, some on good ground. I have a whole week series on these parables of Matthew 13 and Luke 8. But the stony ground is so important because there are those who make professions of faith. There are those who perhaps are in manipulated by some high-powered evangelist, <laughs> or there are those who witness but not adequately enough for that person to fully understand. And this is so important. We don't want to make two full children of hell. <laughs> That's what the Pharisees did. Jesus chided them for that. And there is movements and evangelical people who use what we call easy believism. They don't present all of the gospel. <laughs> I went soul winning with a pastor friend of mine, and he goes to the door, and, and he says, if I can show you in five minutes or less how you can have eternal life, would you be willing to listen? Forgive me, folks. 
There's no way someone is going to fully understand the gospel and its ramifications and its claim on the life in less than five minutes. I'm sorry. Now, if you say you can do it, fine, but I can't. When I'm leading somebody to the Lord, I take an hour or two hours. The last person I led to the Lord was a 68-year-old Roman Catholic. And he was so messed up with religion and work system salvation, and he had so many questions and so many doubts and so many fears, the guy's battling a lot of things. I took two full hours with him to present the gospel and help him through his struggles and those things he had doubts of and the things that he was misunderstanding. And the guy got saved, and he's been faithful ever since. 68 years entrenched in Roman Catholicism and all of its false teaching. We had to work through all of that before he had a proper understanding and came to God on God's terms instead of his own terms or religious terms. But there are those who make false professions. I was with a, a, a pastor one time. We went out soul winning. And his whole thing was just get people to pray a prayer. I'm, not, I'm sorry, but praying a prayer is not what saves you. It's faith in Christ that saves you. Prayer may be the means by which you call on the name of the Lord that you might be saved. But his whole thing was, you want to go to heaven, don't you? You don't want to go to hell, do you? Pray after me. Heavenly Father, say it with me. Now say it with Heavenly I mean, it was, it was less than a minute. I'm telling you, that man is making twofold children of hell. You have to have an understanding of the gospel. You have to be convicted by the Holy Spirit of your sinfulness and your total inability to save your own soul by religious or moral means. You have to come to an understanding of who Christ is and the significance of what he accomplished on that cross for you. You have to know about his death, his shed blood, his burial. You need to know about the resurrection. He that believeth in his heart that God hath raised him from the dead shall be saved. You know, 80% of gospel tracts don't even mention the resurrection. How can you have a gospel without the resurrection? That, that, that leaves you the same place as Buddha, Muhammad, and, and everybody else that's still dead and in their graves. I shared with you this morning the importance of the resurrection. And so many, although profess that they're saved, and you meet him, I meet him. They say they're saved. They say, are they saved? Well, they say they are. You know how many times I hear that? In other words, they do not have a lifestyle that is indicative of an indwelling Holy Spirit. There is a lifestyle that is produced by God himself in the heart of any true, genuine, born-again believer. You have to have a life change, or you haven't had a change of mind about sin, which means you never had repentance. <laughs> Salvation will radically and dramatically change the life. And my wife got saved at age five. But before that, she was biting people in the nursery, stealing people's toys. She needed a radical transformation. <laughs> but there is a change, however it might look like in a five-year-old. <laughs> Mine was radical and dramatic when I got saved. I was one of those night and day people. I was going this way after receiving Christ. I started going that way by the power of God's grace. And so the Bible says in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, 
that they were not all of us. That they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There are many like that. They go out. They make professions of faith, might even follow believers' baptism. For a while, they endure. But they do not continue. You see this verse up here? But continue. You realize that you continuing is by the power of the Spirit of God in you. And it's one of the great evidences that you're truly born again. I'm glad there are some of you that were here for my past six conferences. This is conference number seven for Anchor Baptist. And some of you have been here a while. And it's always a blessing when I go back to a church and see the same people still there, still faithful, still continuing. That's an evidence of a genuine born-again experience that you continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of. And so there are those that profess but are not genuine. 2 Timothy 3, 5, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. 1 John 2, 16, they profess that they know God. But in works or in their lifestyle, they deny him. And so let's be careful. The foolish lit the wick, but the flame wouldn't continue. So in a panic, they ask the five wise who have oil, give us of your oil. And what was the response of these? But they answered saying, not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But that would be like, that'd be like saying, I, I, for, I forgot my, my batteries in my, in my flashlight. Uh, uh, give, give me one of yours. Can I give someone a battery and their flashlight's going to work? Furthermore, if I've only got one left, mine's not going to work. I can put that in there and I can do all kinds of things, but it's not going to work. It needs the full power. It needs that full, <laughs> that full battery power if it is going to work. <laughs> I can't give you one of my batteries. Yours isn't going to work and mine isn't going to work either. <laughs> you go get some batteries. <laughs> I'm not going to give you one of my batteries. I can't do that. No one can give you the Holy Spirit. Give us of your oil. We can't give you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You got to get the Holy Spirit from God Himself. You got to receive Christ to get the Holy Spirit. I can't give Him to you. Even Simon in Acts chapter eight tried tried to buy from the Apostle Peter the power to give somebody the Holy Spirit. Can't do that. I can't do anything for you to get you born again except give you the gospel. And that's what John chapter 1, that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. Which were born. Not of blood. Doesn't matter who your kinfolk are. Maybe you've heard this. I've actually heard this. Well, if you die tonight, you're going to go to heaven. I said, I believe I will. I believe I will. How do you know that? My granddaddy was a preacher. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> That's not going to help you. And you boys and girls who are here, just because your parents are saved doesn't mean you're saved. It's not of blood. It's, well, my parents are saved, so that must mean I am not so. You must be saved and born again yourself. It's not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. There's nothing you can do in the flesh to bring the new birth. Nothing. 
You can't be religious enough or holy enough or righteous enough in yourself. You can't do anything of yourself. It's not of the flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Jesus said, and that's all it can ever be. Do you understand this? The Lord will receive nothing from the heart you were born with. Romans 8, 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There's nothing you can do in your flesh, morally, religiously, or any other way that God would receive. Because anything you're trying to give to God when you're not saved, He does not accept. Because it's coming out of a sinfully depraved, corrupt heart that you were born with. And we need to help religious people understand that. I don't care how often you go to church. I don't care how much money you give in philanthropy. I don't care how, uh, what standards of morality you might have. God cannot receive anything from the heart you were born with. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. You must have a spiritual birth. A spiritual birth wrought entirely by the power of God that takes you out of darkness into light. It takes you from blindness to sight. And you pass from death unto life. But it's all by his power, not anything you do in the flesh. Salvation is a gift offered freely by the grace of God, and you by faith must receive it. So nobody can give it to you. And then it says, nor of the will of man. John 1.13, it's not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Nobody else can will it for you. I remember I was, bo I was born and then uh, baptized as a Roman Catholic, and I had godparents they were answering for me. No one can answer for you. You must come by faith yourself and receive, embrace, appropriate the risen Christ for yourself. Give us of your oil. We can't give you our oil. And I don't know if this is Jewish sarcasm. and I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but verse 9, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Now, in this, in this scenario, it's go get oil. Go, go to the marketplace and get your own oil. I can't give you any. Spiritually speaking, maybe it has a reference to go to those religious systems that you trusted in and see if they can give you some oil. <laughs> There's so much false religion out there. If you're a born-again believer, you need more discernment today than we've ever needed. Because the devil is on a rampage. The devil knows his time is short. Revelation 20.10, he's going to the lake of fire. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Makes me want to do a jig, man. The devil's going to the lake of fire. No more devil. <laughs> Praise God. So he knows his time is short. The Lord Jesus is coming again soon. So he's on a rampage. I've never seen havoc in the churches like I've, I've never seen it before. And the devil's trying to take churches and just shake them till the bolts come loose. We got problems with believers, problems with churches, problems stepping over a microphone. I mean, I've got, I'm, I've got my own issues I'm dealing with. <laughs> hey, the devil knows his time is short, and he is counterfeiting everything. Isaiah, Isaiah 14, 14, Lucifer said, I will be like the most high. Anything God does, the devil counterfeits. There are counterfeit Christians, counterfeit churches, counterfeit pastors, counterfeit music, counterfeit Bible translations. Lots of counterfeits. 
lot of believers are asleep when it comes to recognizing the devil's counterfeits. You better know this book, my friend. You better know the power of the Spirit of God and how to discern what is of God and what is not of God. And so you, they had a real predicament there. Why they went to buy, the bridegroom came. They that were ready went in. That's the whole point of the passage. They that were ready. You got to be ready. You got to prepare. Amos 4.12, prepare to meet thy God. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. You just don't do anything about it. You were born on the broad road heading for destruction, and you will continue on that road until you end up in the lake of fire. You must be convicted by the Spirit of God. You must embrace the Savior to get off of the broad road heading for destruction and on the narrow road that leads to life. And so they were shut out. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Praise God, the door now is open. Just like in the days of Noah when the door of the ark was open. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness, warning that antediluvian race that they needed to get into the ark. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Get in the ark. Get in the ark. The ark was huge. It could have held all who believed. The only ones that believed were Noah and his family. So God invites them into the ark. He's already in there. Come into the ark. He didn't say go into the ark. He said come into the ark. So Noah's wife, three sons, three daughters-in-law, all entered the ark. And you know the wonderful thing about the grace of God? God left the door of that ark open for another seven days. You've seen Noah and his family go into the ark. You've heard Noah's preaching. Judgment's coming. Why don't you follow them into the ark? The door remained open for seven more days. Then Genesis 7, 16 says the very hand of God reaches down from heaven and God Closes the door of that ark. God, seal him inside that ark. God didn't say, no, I'm going to pound eight pegs on the side of this big boat. No one family, you hang on. If you're still hanging on at the end of this judgment, you'll be saved. I have full messages on eternal security, and, and rightly so. You talk about a counterfeit gospel. You, you mean you have a Jesus who's not powerful enough to keep you saved? So it's all dependent upon you? You determine whether you're saying saved or not? If you can lose it by sinning, that means you have to keep it by working. And you have an ultimate work system of salvation if you believe that you can lose your salvation. You are seeking to work your way to heaven. I'm saved by grace, but I'm kept by my own works and power. Not so. You're either saved all of grace or all of works. It cannot be a mixture of any kind. So, Noah and his family are sealed inside that ark, and they're not getting out, and they're deposited on dry land. And once you're saved, you're sealed by the Spirit of God, and you're not getting out until you're safely deposited on heaven's ground. And so that's that predicament. And then the plight the plight. Verse 11, afterward came the other virgin saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, verily I say unto you, I know you not. Does that sound like another scripture you're familiar with? Does that kind of sound like Matthew 7, 21? 
through 23, as the Lord Jesus describes the days of the great white throne judgment, and Jesus is many, not a, hello, not a few, many, not a few, shall say unto me in that day, what day? The great white throne judgment of Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We were, we were imams, we were pundits, we were popes, we were cardinals, archbishops, we were priests, we were, we were pastors, we were the leaders of the religions of the world. Why are we standing here condemned and ready to be cast into the lake of fire? We prophesied in your name, and in your name we cast out devils, and in your name we did many wonderful works. Now we find where their trust really is. They were trusting in their self-righteousness and their own ability to keep a set of rules. They're trusting in their own wonderful works. Look what I did for you, God. And then I will profess unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's the issue. Well, I accepted Christ. The question is, did he accept you? You have to come to Christ based on his conditions, not your man-made or adding or taking away from the gospel message. Depart from me, I never knew you. All right, so I love John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Does he know you? Is he your shepherd? Are you one of his sheep? My sheep. Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's the true born-again believer. And again, none of us follow him perfectly. None of us are 100% obedient or pleasing to the Lord. We all have struggles. Probably every believer's wrestling with something. We understand that. I believe the Lord understands that. Psalm 103, 14, he remembers that we are dust. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I write unto you that you sin not. That's the will of God, that we never sin, because we have potentially power over that as a believer. And then he goes on, and if any man sin, we have an even the great apostle John includes himself, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But I'm saying your lifestyle should be indicative that you're full of oil, that you have the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that produces works through you that God will use. I don't have anything in myself. Romans 7, 18, Paul said, In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. I cannot of myself produce anything. It's the oil. It's the Spirit of God in me. This wick without the oil is nothing. This is you. This is you. This clay of this pot can't produce anything. It's the oil. The oil is the power that fills this vessel that causes this wick to keep burning. And so again, do you have the oil? And are you a believer that has the resultant lifestyle of a true born-again experience? And so that's the plight. And then there's a promise and a prayer. I'll just read it for you. 
my time is, is gone. But Revelation 22 and verse 20, He which testifieth these things says, Surely I come quickly. A final promise and a final prayer. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Is that your heart? Do you love is appearing? Are you watching? Are you waiting? 